ESG has exploded into compliance and business consciousness. Join Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, on the ESG Report and learn about sustainability risks, opportunities, and issues that business leaders and compliance professionals need to know about regarding ESG. And I'm thrilled to have back with me Tommy Lindstrom. Tommy, first of all, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me again. I appreciate it. Tommy, we had the chance to visit a little bit earlier about your professional background, really your passion around construction and Green Badger, but wanted to take that and maybe use that as a jumping off point today to talk about ESG. But before we do that, could we maybe you t- remind us about your professional background? Sure. I've been in the building industry for going on 20 years, played many different roles, came from the ownership side of a development company where I was the director of sustainability. So saw firsthand how to design, operate, manage buildings as sustainably as possible, grew into consulting, worked with hundreds of project teams and companies to help them incorporate sustainability into their overall buildings and operational practices before launching Green Badger here about nine nine years ago when we first kicked things off, which is a software as a service to help the building industry streamline and automate green construction compliance. Green Green Badger recently released a publication entitled The General Contractor's Roadmap for ESG Implementation eBook. And I wanted to maybe ask you a couple of questions about that. Perhaps it's embedded in the title, but who's the audience for this book? (laughs) It is geared towards general contractors and some of the unique challenges they have, half their workforce being out in a, in a job site versus being in a traditional office setting. But really, the fundamentals of it are applicable for anybody who's looking to start an ESG program, whether it's a 10-person startup to, again, a full-fledged 1,000-person construction company. And that really leads us to what I wanted to maybe take a little bit deeper dive into with you today which is the intersection of construction and ESG and how companies can utilize ESG, whether or not it's a business imperative in your industry, as I see it in other industries, and then how can you respond to that as a businessman? So if I could maybe start by asking, why is ESG so critical in how buildings and the construction industry moves forward? I do think it's critical. In the end, I think that ESG is a business strategy that's going to help organizations win more business, retain and attract talent, and just be more competitive in the marketplace. That to me is just, it's a standalone business strategy that companies are at a disadvantage if they're not pursuing. That said, I think it is new in the construction industry as a concept versus some other industries that might have embraced it a little bit more. But I think it's also just becoming a directive, right? Even if a contractor doesn't care about it, they're being asked for it by their ultimate customer. What the people that they are building buildings for who are going to own and operate those buildings, they're saying, hey, this is important to us. We need you to track your carbon throughout the construction process. We need to know the embodied carbon and the materials going in this building. We need to know what the minority and women makeup is of your subcontractors that you're using. Come carrot or come stick, the construction industry is finding it because it's just being written into contract documents that you need to report this information to us. So it's not a matter of, of if, but when, for my, my side of things. So I probably should put a disclaimer on all my podcast recordings. Anything you say, I'm a purloin. And <laughs> I have said in the past and tried to articulate that I see ESG as a business process, but you've taken that really to a step I really want to explore, which is the strategy. 
you see this as an entire strategy. And you started to talk a little bit about that, the carrot, the stick, why customers or other stakeholders may want it. Let's start with the regulators. And the Securities Exchange Commission has certainly uh, said those types of things. Outside the United States and the EU, there's a number of regulatory bodies. In your industry, are you seeing regulators begin to talk about this a little bit more or a lot more? We're definitely seeing it. And you mentioned the SEC. That could be extremely far-reaching. And the Inflation Reduction Act, where if you're doing more than $7.5 million of business with the federal government, that could be one construction project. And now you're required to disclose scope one and scope two emission. Just the breadth of some of these regulations, it's not, okay, I'm building in New York City and I'm going to have to do this, but it could literally be anywhere in the country and move pretty quickly. I say ESG is a business strategy. I also say, what is the risk of not doing it? For the time and effort it takes to get a program coming, what is the risk if you don't? And how much are you going to be scrambling if and when any of these regulations become etched in stone? And do you really want to be scrambling and trying to play catch up when your competition has a year or two advantage head start on you? Let's move from the regulatory aspect to the commercial aspect. I come out of the energy industry and have practiced law in that space for some 40 years. And I represent small contractors who go into chemical plants and do a variety of services. And I've even seen in those subcontracts now, with an Exxon, with a Shell, whether you name the company, a requirement for an ESG component, whether it's an ESG program, whether it's measurable metrics as you've outlined. And are you beginning to see those types of clauses in construction contracts now, particularly for a large commercial construction? Definitely. We talk to our partners and our customers all the time, and they're saying nothing but, oh my gosh, we're getting sustainability supplier questionnaires. We are a supplier to the, again, to the ultimate owner and they require it of everybody on their supply chain. It doesn't matter if you're providing services to their offices or building them an office tower. They want to know what your ESG policy and programs are. Now, I'll caveat that. There are some scoring. I was just at a conference last week talking to a number of general contractors, and they were worrying because they're actually getting graded now. And if you don't have a high enough score, they've seen it already in safety. If you have too many safety incidents and your safety score goes down, you're just not eligible for the job. And the consensus is, look, right now, a lot of the sustainability supplier surveys are informational, but eventually they're gonna gonna judge you on it. And again, you could be at a competitive disadvantage. I will note now, at least the ones, the people we talked to today, a lot of it realizes that the industry is a little bit behind and they're not penalizing you for not having a full-fledged program, but they're asking, are you starting to track this? Will this be available? And that's really the impetus of the guide we put out is that, As ESG could be thousands of data points, it could be completely overwhelming. And if you're handing this to a company that doesn't have a lot of expertise in this, we see a lot of paralysis by analysis. And it's, my goodness, there's just so much. I don't know where to start. And it's, I'm just going to punt the can and do nothing. And so really, we put the guide together to say, look, here's a starting point. Nobody expects you to go out and do everything in the first month or the first year. This is a multi your approach, you just start small and grow from there. But what you need to be doing is having something because if you reply back to those supplier surveys and say, we're not doing anything and we don't care about it, probably not gonna bode well for winning that job. So we talked about regulatory, we talked about commercial. Now let me move to financing. And whether that financing is your US public company and you have shareholders, whether that is financing from a private equity buyout, whether you're a portfolio company, 
or whether you're actually going down for a bank loan. I see a lot of requirements from the financiers for companies who are looking for money or a way just to access the cash in their own company to have an ESG program. Or are you seeing that component as well? Fortunately or unfortunately, I'm not at that layer within our customers, but I will say ESG originated from investors. It originated from the financial side because they were using it to make good investment decisions. It just follows the money. So I would, I'd be willing to bet that your notion there is correct, that you've seen it at the real estate portfolio. Yeah, that's where, again, where ESG comes from. We're interested in investing in a real estate portfolio, and we want to assure that, yes, it's got good financials, but it's also not in a crazy environmental or social or governance risk portfolio. So yeah, why wouldn't that translate down into the financing of a construction project or the money coming in to, to secure loans to build these buildings? It's, it just seems like it would be the next level of evolution of instead of evaluating it at the built environment already completed, it's should we fund this project to begin with? That just makes, makes perfect sense. And now let me move to business, what I call business process, perhaps business efficiency. I see ESG as a business process, which says something along the lines of, we're gonna take areas which your company either does measure or should measure that, and if you haven't measuring them, they're probably in silos with disparate groups looking at each silo. And we're gonna put it under either one head of sustainability or perhaps a committee. And so we're gonna have the ability to look, allocate resources, see where inefficiencies are, and move to, as you have suggested, a more wider strategy or at least a broader strategy. And I try to argue, at least in the part of Texas I live in, why would you not want to have a more efficient business process? Do you see ESG as a business process as well? I do. I use process and strategy synonymously. And I think depending where you are, the letters or the word ESG can have some connotations to it. But it, to me, it's again, it goes back to yeah. Do you want to be more efficient? Do you want to do things that uh, attract and retain talent? Do you want to have more transparency in your organization? The answer to those should all be yes. And if so, who cares what you call it? Don't call it ESG, call it business efficiencies, but it's the same thing. To me, the big differentiation is that it's well, not really differentiation, just why we call it a, pro a process or a strategy is that you can't just to do it correctly. You're not just doing it by the seat of your pants. Or you're not just throwing somebody for five hours a week. It, you wouldn't enter a new, if you had a business strategy to enter a new consumer market or something, right? You would not enter into that market without spending a ton of time researching it, knowing what the price points were, knowing what your product or offering was going to be, knowing what your sales strategy is, right? You invest all of those time and resources to properly address, which is that new business strategy. And ESG is the same thing, right? If you want it to succeed, so that you can win more business, retain and attract talent, and all the other good benefits that come with it, you need to have a thought process of how are we going to actually make this a success? And we don't expect it to happen overnight, but we're going to build and work towards it over the coming 6, 12, 18 months. And also your point about the siloization is exactly on point. We see e, the E side of ESG is often what people lead with. It's always carbon and energy and waste, and that falls under a sustainability person versus, hey, we need to loop in HR because we've got a whole bunch of employee issues and diversity issues. We need to loop in IT for all of our policies and legal for all of our corporate governance, like all of those components to go together. And to me, that's one of the other silver linings of ESG is you take all of these siloed departments that 
might never talk to each other. And now you've got a cross-functional team that's working to help establish your ESG program, benchmark, and eventually improve and optimize. And that is, that's a good thing. As I mentioned, I come out of the energy industry and I'm actually a recovering trial lawyer. <laughs> and many of the cases I worked on were catastrophic injury cases, plant explosions, etc. And I saw the evolution of safety in the energy industry and the petrochemical in energy, Exxon Valdez, which was really the seminal point in safety and energy because Exxon said, we're going to make safety absolutely positively number one in our company. And they did that. And then when Exxon did it, everybody else did it because Exxon said, do it. So I saw this evolution of safety and I actually see safety as a key component in the S and ESG. So I know you're in an industry where safety is paramount as well. So I wanted to maybe get your thoughts on, do you see safety as actually a part of ESG or something different? I think it's part of it. I think it falls into two, the S and the G, right? You certainly have your safety policies and governance that's in there of what you need to be doing on job sites, how you need to do it to ensure your team and the subcontractors and honestly, anybody who comes on site can do so in a safe manner. So you got the policy side of it, but then you got the people side of it, right? You don't want people in unsafe conditions. You don't want people working within 110 degree heat without breaks. You don't want people missing time off because of worker injuries and things like that. There's all sorts of things that would fall into the that S bucket, which is really about what, how are you engaging with the, the, the human side, the human capital within your organization? I definitely, it, it falls in there for sure under the S and under the G and back to your energy side of things. I think we see ESG the same way, right? Safety and construction has come a long way over the past 25 years from you know, chasing people to get hard hats and, and glasses on to now you literally can't walk on site without a vest, a hard hat and glasses. And you never even think twice about it. And you have safety directors, multiple safety professionals throughout an organization. You also have a regulatory agency of OSHA that's out there in case you're violating it. So not sure how we'll see that on the ESG side, but I do think the concept of ESG will, will follow that tra trajectory of safety where, all right, we've got a learning curve. We've got to figure this out. And in three years, you and I are going to be talking about this. Do you remember when this was a new concept? It's just baked in everywhere now. So as I come out of the compliance realm and in the compliance realm, it all starts with a risk assessment because you have to know what your risks are to put together a risk management strategy and then move forward from there. In ESG, they call that a materiality assessment and then moving forward. And I wanted to use that to touch on something you talked about a little bit earlier, which is how do you get started? And I try to advocate to people, do a materiality assessment, see what's material in ESG, not simply to you as the company, but your employees, your customers, your other stakeholders. But how do you advocate a company just get started? Sure. I'll tell you in our guide, we do not use the word material, materiality once because we're trying to not make it like a its own big, crazy thing. It's totally important. We just try and we try and break it down just starting out with what do you control, right? What is firmly within your grasp that you can control. And that's where you should start. We shouldn't start with things on the fringes. So we take a three-tier approach where we just say, look, start small, start with what you can control. And again, to be really simplistic, it's like, all right, we're a contractor and we have a fleet. Can we go get the fuel cards for last year? Yeah, we paid that bill. 
That's easy data. We can easily get that. We can easily get our office energy consumption. We can easily look at our makeup of our employees or any health and wellness programs. Like those are all things that are, they exist somewhere. As you mentioned, they're probably just siloed, but if you get the right people around the table, you can probably get that information pretty quickly. And then you can move into, okay, how do we go to that next level? All right. Maybe we haven't been tracking minority and women participation at every project. We've only tracked it at projects where there's a public requirement to, but could we? Yeah, that's firmly within every, we know every subcontract we issue and we can track down what their status is pretty quickly. That is definitely within our control. So that's phase two. We might not have that today, but we could go and get that pretty quickly. And then phase three really gets into, or tier three gets into what can we influence? And this is where we're sending our supplier questionnaires. We're engaging with our subcontractors and our trades. We can't necessarily make them do something, but we can certainly influence them. We can influence them with our contract language. We can influence them with our job site practices. So that's really how we try and break it out to give people a manageable process of how to how do you start small and engage without getting overwhelmed with it? And then how do you just grow on it? And then the other, we try and put together the framework too, right? So first step, everyone loves to jump to tactics because tactics are the fun part. Like people are like, let's throw some EV chargers up or let's do this or that. But for us, it's all right, start with that baseline and benchmark. It's really tough to know what tactics you should use if you have not first benchmarked your current practices. Then you begin to set your goals so you know what you want to achieve, and then you implement tactics specific to those goals. Again, I was just at a different conference the other week talking to a contractor from up in Boston, and they had just finished their benchmarking, and he was amazed. And he was like, my goodness, I thought we were going to have to do all of this analysis of business travel and look to reduce people going out on travel. And it was the smallest percentage of our carbon footprint. So it'll spend a bunch of time and effort trying to get stuff around business travel when there's much bigger fish to fry, but they wouldn't have known that if they had not done that benchmarking before they did their goal setting and their tactics. And that's what I find is the power of ESG. As you said, they didn't know what they didn't know. And they thought one thing, and it turned out when they looked at the data, it gave them other insights. And then in if I could go back to the compliance world, once you make that initial determination and determine what your strategy is, of course, you have to monitor how you implement that strategy and then move to, if not continuous improvement, at least some improvement in an improvement cycle. Would you advocate those steps as well? Definitely. Get back to this is a business strategy. You wouldn't ignore what your monthly sales report or quarterly sales. You wouldn't just say, ah, we're not going to monitor what sales are and if we're actually selling this stuff. And as you point out, ESG is no different, right? You got a continuous improvement is built into a lot of cultures of construction. So this just falls right into that. Measure it, keep measuring it, work towards improvement and keep getting better. And hopefully what you're doing five years from now is a lot different than today because you've moved on to other opportunities within the ESG world. But everybody is going to be at a different point on their journey, which is why we think we don't advocate using ESG necessarily as a benchmark today comparing what company A is doing to what company B is doing, because depending on how big you are, if you're regional or national, what type of construction you do, your corporate profiles are just so different. So it's really tough to say, hey, you can say these guys are doing some cool programs. You might want to emulate that, but to say that somebody's doing something and you're using that as comparative, we see that a little trickier to get a true apples to apples comparison. Tommy, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but before we leave, I wanted to ask you if our listeners wanted any more information on yourself, on Green Badger, on the General Contractors Roadmap for ESG Implementation ebook, 
what would be the best place or places for them to go? Definitely go to our website, getgreenbadger.com. That ESG roadmap is a free download under the resources section where we also put out other eBooks, white papers, and videos on all sorts of things, sustainable construction related. So it's a great resource and also follow us on the normal socials, but we also post a lot of this information specifically to LinkedIn and you can find us at Green Badger on LinkedIn as well. I know you highlighted the resource section, but I wanna give a shout out to it because it has some excellent resources. It is focused towards the construction industry, but as Tommy said, when we started, if you're interested in ESG at all and ESG implementation, there's a ton of great resources that me as a compliance practitioner found helpful. So check it out. It's there. It's free. I wanted to thank you or shout out to you guys for putting those resources out to the rest of us. And thank you again for taking the time to visit with me. And I hope we can continue this conversation. I hope so. I'm looking forward to the third time, Tom. This is Tom Fox again. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the ESG Report. If you've enjoyed this episode, I hope you'll subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever great podcasts are listened to. The ESG Report is a part of the award-winning Compliance Podcast Network. If you'd like to be a part of the network, please give me a shout at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. This is Tom Fox. Hope you look forward to the next episode of the ESG Report.